As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Big Thing on Total Soccer Show, the weekly show where we dive into one of soccer's meatiest topics. This week, we turn our attention to the World Cup. No, not the one hosted in North America in 2026, but the one that will take place in 2030 in Spain and Portugal and Morocco and Uruguay (laughs) and Argentina. And Paraguay. Yes, that 2030 edition will be played on three, count them, three continents with six nations technically hosting and qualifying automatically for the tournament as well. In a divided world, FIFA and football are uniting, said FIFA's president Gianni Infantino, describing the Morocco, Portugal and Spain bid as a great message of peace, tolerance and inclusion. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Joining me to discuss this and uh, this uh, travelling World Cup and much more, we have uh, Cynicism's Taylor Rockwell. Hello, can't wait. <laughs> we have Graham Rutherford, who just said, oh my God, on mic quite loudly. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Ryan Bailey, Gianni and Fatino must be stopped. It's, it's a matter of, of, of global importance at this point. Okay, and we have Joe Lowry joining us, whose negativity is yet to be revealed. No, no, no. You guys don't seem to get it. Gianni Infantino and FIFA solved world peace. Guys, we should uh. be really, really happy. You guys are not reacting in the way that I thought you would. That's right. They're bringing together Uruguay and Spain and Portugal, <laughs> finally. Just what the world needed at this point. To be, to be fair, like a, a sizable chunk of South America's national anthems do feature at least one line about like defeating the evil Spanish. So in this way, maybe they have sort of mended some fences Maybe Gianni Infantino is uh, maybe Nobel Peace Prize. I think is what we've landed upon. He deserves one. I I don't even. He's going to make way. his That's own. Not one. a funny joke. I don't. Want this anymore. <laughs> All right, Graham. Can you just give us the top line on what's going on here? Hundredth anniversary of the World Cup here, uh, 1930, the first one. Um, how's it going to work? There's lots of moving parts yeah. here. So we weren't expecting any imminent announcement on the 2030 World Cup this week, but FIFA confirmed that the the tournament, as you say, Ryan, would be hosted primarily, we should mention, by Spain, Portugal and Morocco. They will host the bulk of the tournament and the first three matches will be held in Argentina, Paraguay and, and Uruguay. So that's six countries, three continents. That's actually important, um, the continent part, 
particularly the confederation part. We'll cover that later on. But that is unprecedented for a World Cup. We've obviously had joint bids before. The 2026 World Cup will be hosted by Canada, Mexico and the US, as, as we all know. And that in itself was something new for a World Cup in the expanded format. But this will encompass three continents and, and, and as I say, crucially, three confederations. Um, the three matches in Uruguay, Paraguay and, and Uruguay um, which is actually quite difficult to say. A lot of guys, five guys, um, they are to mark Ooh, the mm. centenary of the first ever World Cup held in 1930. So <laughs> that tournament was hosted and won by Uruguay. They played Argentina in the final and Comneball's headquarters are in Paraguay. So that is the <laughs> yeah, that, very yeah. convoluted <laughs> make sense. reason. Yeah. Um, Chile, we'll get on to how this is an amalgamation of two bids. Um, the original bid also included Chile. The Comneball bid also included Chile. There's not really an explanation for why they oh, have no? been dropped out of this bid. Just that FIFA <laughs> thought having more countries, that's where they've drawn the line. They've drawn the line at six countries. Chile, get out of here. So they have they have dropped out of uh, out of this and um i actually like the idea of having a centenary world cup in mm. primarily uruguay i understand that in the expanded format uruguay weren't able to host it themselves so i accepted having other south american carnival countries as part of that bid but um yeah fifa has now mushed two bids together and carnival uh, will only be getting Three matches. They're not even getting, Ryan, I know you're an opening ceremony fan, an opening ceremony aficionado like I am. They're not even getting the opening ceremony. That will take place in Spain, Portugal and Morocco, which won't host matches until the fourth match. So we're going to have the opening ceremony four games into the World Cup. <sighs> okay. Um, so there's a lot here. Obviously, the 1930 Wait, do you really think that's how it's going to work, Graham? I assume they'll still do the opening, like start the tournament, then they'll go to the South American games, then we'll come back to to Europe and Africa. So they are, so they're having like a live event in somewhere in South America of the opening ceremony, and then going to a game. Oh, there's going to be people that buy tickets for the opening ceremony in Montevideo oh. who think they're going to the opening <laughs> match of the World Cup. That's definitely going to happen. I'm just oh, thinking dear. of the, the logistics for Pitbull's jet to get between all these continents for all these <laughs> opening ceremonies. It's going to be crazy. Forget Pitbull. Mr. Q is the person that we're all <laughs> wondering about. Mr. Q and Morgan Freeman. Those are the two. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Graham, as I say, the 1930 uh, World Cup, as you pointed out, held in Uruguay, it's the it's the Argentina and Paraguay links that I'm a bit confused about as to why they are also getting to host games. Is it just proximity? Yeah, I think so. And we are going to have more of this in the expanded format. I've spoken about this before. It was one of the main, my personal viewpoint, one of the main drawbacks of the expanded format is it's going to get messy. You're going to have um, co-bids between countries that don't really have any kind of connection between each other other than geographical and even in this case there's not even a geographical like one of the bids for this tournament was greece egypt and saudi arabia i mean it is it's kind of getting ridiculous and the fact that we have we're going to have a competition over six countries three continents three confederations it's yeah i'm not as you might be able to tell i'm not i'm not a fan i don't think this is a great solution it does seem, if we want to be charitable to FIFA, it seems like the Uruguay bid, we don't, but I will be for this point. Uh, it seems like the Uruguay bid was was never really going to happen on its own because of infrastructure, both like existing infrastructure and getting around the country, but then also the lack of uh, stadia to fulfill the needs and the requirements of FIFA for the expanded World Cup, but also the capacity requirements. So then they would have had to extend 
Argentina, and I guess Paraguay as well. And even there, there were concerns about infrastructure again. That's what at least keeps getting reported by sources linked to the bids, which to yeah. me is set, is FIFA basically leaking. Yeah, we had concerns about infrastructure. I think the larger thing, at least in my mind, is just that if we had 2026 in North America and you put 2030 in South America, that's two World Cups in a row in the Western Hemisphere. I don't think FIFA likes that. I think FIFA likes having diversity in where the World Cups are, and I think they often like to have in every other sort of format with around the world and then Europe, and then around the world and then Europe. So I think that the 2030 bid now features Europe prominently, I think it kind of ticks that box for them. Yeah, they, they've cleared the way for another country oh, yeah. to host the for World sure. Cup in 2034, which we can get on to that a little bit later on. But I read... I mean, that was the... my first reaction to that vid, by the way. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, Saudi Arabia hosting in 2034. Great. Oh, I thought Great. you meant Indonesia. Sorry, go on. <laughs> um, but I read the, um, the, 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 the site report. So FIFA, when they're analysing and they're examining... Um, bids for world cups they will send officials to go and visit stadiums and infrastructure and training grounds and hotels and all that stuff to assess whether a country is is capable of hosting a world cup and i, I didn't actually read the report itself because it's not public knowledge but i read uh, matt slater in the athletic who i think had read the the site report and he said that the main problem this is further to your point taylor the main problem with the commonwealth bid was they didn't have the the stadiums there wasn't one stadium out of 13 that they put forward that actually satisfied FIFA's demands. Now, of course, there are plenty of big venues and historic venues in Argentina and Paraguay and, and Uruguay. The, the Argentina has the, the Bombonera and the Monumental and Uruguay has the Centenario. But in terms of modern stadiums that have things like top quality media facilities and corporate facilities and hospitality and even things like parking. A briefcase yeah. with $1 million for Gianni Infantino. That didn't <laughs> exist in any of their stadiums, I'm pretty sure. Well, the thing is, <laughs> and that's what Matt Slater went on to say in his article. None of those things are necessarily deal breakers, but apparently, Com the Ball and the country, the host countries involved, weren't prepared to put forward the money to either upgrade the stadiums or the infrastructure, or um, how shall I say this without alerting the fire truck of lawyers? Satisfy FIFA in other ways. They mm-hmm. weren't willing to put that sort of God, that money up. So <laughs> creepy, so and much accurate worse. all at once. <laughs> <laughs> um, Joe. What are your thoughts about this logistically? Because we'll have an o- we'll have three opening games, as we've noted uh, in detail, in South America. So Uruguay, Argentina, Paraguay, and their opponents are going to have to, presumably for the second group game, take a transatlantic and separate hemisphere journey uh, to conclude the rest of the tournament. Uh, I mean, there's even like climate implications here, because I'm pretty sure that FIFA said, or Qatar claimed that the, their tournament was carbon neutral, uh, which turned out to false. be extremely (laughs) untrue Uh, and they've just wildly gone in the other direction with this one it seems yeah very much so I I I honestly think my biggest issue the more and more I've thought about this proposal my biggest issue is from a sporting perspective at least as far as the non-Saudi Arabia elements are concerned the more and more I've thought about this idea to be honest like the the less and less I hate it I hated it more when I heard it the first time and it is ridiculous and and dumb right like it it is dumb Uh, in, in a lot of ways it's really dumb but it's not like the worst thing that's ever happened and the worst thing that FIFA's ever done. I mean, if that's the bar, Joe, the right, worst right, thing that's true. ever happened. It's like, right, a, it's like on yesterday's show when Ryan said, Manchester United didn't play that bad and, and so basically put the bar in the basement for Taylor to step over. Like, this is this is not an <laughs> ideal situation. Uh, but the, the weirdest part in my mind is just that travel. Like, everybody, when the draw happens, is going to celebrate when they're not drawn 
to be the opponents for these three teams. Like Argentina, Paraguay, and Uruguay, yes, they get the home field advantage, and maybe that outweighs the travel. I don't know. All these things are like ethereal and, and impossible to measure, really. But nobody's going to want to play those teams because, number one, you have to play Argentina in Argentina or Paraguay in Paraguay. You get the idea. And then you have to fly 6,000 miles and train in like the next three days before your next group stage game. It, it is not an even or like really merited sporting competition in that way. I don't know. I am curious though, in this opening segment, at least I I've clarified. I think this is a little silly and ridiculous, but I entered this process thinking like South America was robbed. And the more and more you read, you can read from Alejandro Dominguez, who's the president of Commonwealth, like talking about what we've already discussed that South America, basically it would have been irresponsible. He said was the word he used for them to host in 2030. And the more and more I read about it, the more I read about folks talking about how it was basically a, a romantic bid, much more than it was a realistic bid. It was romantic because you have the 100-year anniversary. It fits so well to bring it back to Uruguay and maybe some of the surrounding countries. All of those things are beautiful on paper. When it becomes clear that South America wasn't capable of hosting this tournament at the level that FIFA wanted, like I don't kind of don't mind that they're doing this. I don't know. I yeah. think I'm the only one who thinks that. What do you guys think about this? No, I, I don't. I, I see the the logic in it. I really do. Even if it seems illogical at the same time, if you want to celebrate the 100th anniversary in a way that feels at least somewhat significant, but you can't move the whole tournament to South America, which feels like what it would have required is basically make it a South America World Cup in order to satisfy the stadium requirements. Uh, then you're also moving it back to Brazil when they just had one not too long ago. Uh, so it feels like you're giving these countries that one game. You get the kind of host atmosphere then. You get to see what the what those countries are like. I think they're still going to be playing in the same stadium as the first World Cup final. Obviously, it's been renovated heavily since then. But so you get that significance, and then you go uh, to the bid that I wanted to win in the first place because I think it's a very cool bid of Portugal, Spain, and Morocco uh, that feels like a very cool area, a very cool like crossing of cultural and ge geographic and geopolitical lines. So I, I think that's that's a really interesting one. Uh, so I understand why they've done it. It's just hard for me not to also see other intentional or unintentional consequences to the way this has been decided. Sure. I do still have a question about how many games will then be played in the three dominant host nations because i'm kind of assuming that if 2026 is any indicator it's going to end up being like morocco will play their games in morocco and maybe the, their opponents and nobody else yeah. portugal maybe will host a few more than that it feels like it's going to be largely spain and portugal in my mind yeah i think this is that's how this will uh this will go taylor i think spain will have the the bulk of the match i mean lisbon uh, matches excuse me lisbon has like two or three stadiums up to they obviously hosted a euros not that long ago so the infrastructure is well actually that was quite 20 a long, years ago long time ago yeah it feels like it wasn't that long ago but anyway <laughs> the infrastructure is 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 still in in place i just think you pick one bid rather than mushing yeah. two together yeah. like if 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 south america ca south america can't host a world cup just don't do it don't don't give them games like there are plenty of countries <laughs> that can't host a world cup and i understand um, that there, there would be the romantic side of things but if fifa is so concerned about having modern facilities and a big parking lot outside the stadium then just don't bother going to south america for, Graham, for any games i don't think you heard this is a divided world and fifa are, are uniting it with this did you <laughs> yeah did you not get that part well and why have they, why the did decks. they not 
<laughs> Why did they not keep Ukraine in the Spain-Portugal bid then? Because that, that was a weird wrinkle of yeah. this bidding process where originally, well, originally it was actually Spain and Portugal, um, but then it was actually Spain, Portugal and Ukraine. Um, for obvious reasons, Ukraine hosting a major tournament right now wasn't an ideal situation that was so such a like out. that was such a like like we got your back ukraine we're gonna give yeah. you a world cup and they're like cool can we have tanks we would prefer tanks <laughs> yeah. but i guess hosting a game would also be fine why not yeah mr q is coming <laughs> don't worry oh, all right we'll dig into that uh, after we take a break but i mean it, it is a it is a very complicated situation but just remember they are uniting soccer around the world and they're, they're gonna bring world peace which is great uh, in fact if they extended that you know they've got six potential technical hosts here why don't they have games held at the world hear me out here hold them in every country put them in leagues separated by confederations and then the best <laughs> ones they go to a finals just held in one country what do you think about that would it'll that never work? Work. an idea it'll never work yeah i think it'll work well in 2034 <laughs> we shall see <laughs> we shall see indeed let's take a quick break when we come back more on this including the other bids including the uh, repercussions for future world cups and much more back shortly this episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Uh, Graham, before the break, you mentioned uh, a bid featuring Ukraine with Spain and Portugal. What else was on the table for this uh, for this uh, 2030 tournament? Yeah, so as with all World Cups, you have um, countries that announce an intention to bid, and then some will fall away and others will firm up into proper bids. Um, so in the end, the, there were only two proper bids, so Spain, Portugal and Morocco, which, um, as I mentioned, was originally Spain and Portugal, then it was um, Spain, Portugal and Ukraine, that then became uh, Spain, Portugal and Morocco, and then you had the bid from Argentina, Uruguay, Paraguay and, and, and Chile, um, Chile obviously dropping out of the of the final award. Then you had some ones that fell by the wayside, which included the one I mentioned earlier, Egypt, Greece, and Saudi Arabia. That last one again, I'm I'm pointing the discussion towards Saudi Arabia. Important, so keep that in mind for when we finally get to, to that point of the story. You also had a UK and Ireland bid, which was abandoned for a Euro 2028 bid because they have a clear run at that. Turkey have dropped out of that bidding process, so the UK and Ireland are all but confirmed to host that tournament. There was also chat about a bid between Central African nations and somewhat bizarrely, the South Korean president talked about a unified Korean bid. Lol. I mean, <laughs> that might be even weirder than what we've actually ended up with <laughs> oh here. But um, that was that was all just bluster. So when it came down to the decision, there were two bids on the table. FIFA couldn't pick. So they just went with all of them and mushed them into one. Is it is it weak leadership at FIFA that they, they're just trying to be too diplomatic by giving multiple hosts 
cities and host nations to tournaments like this. I mean, we've seen a precedent for this in UEFA as well, with Euro twenty twenty being pan continental. Is mm. it just? Is it just a? It is it genuinely a, a diplomatic rationale here? Do we think? Um, I think that has greased the wheels of this decision. I don't think it's necessarily why they've made that that decision. I think this decision, as we, as I keep pointing the discussion towards this 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 thing that we haven't mentioned yet, it I mean, is let's very. Do, let's clearly... just do it. Let's talk about okay. it right now. I mean, it, right. it, it's because it is the thing that I feel like is looms large and goes a long way towards explaining why they might have just been like, well, if we have South America, Europe, and Africa host a World Cup together. I mean, Asia hasn't hosted one in a while. Let's get Asia in there. Yeah. Who's from Asia with a lot of money? Like, it, it does sort of fall into line really quickly. Can I, can yeah, I interject? So to, yeah, go, Graham. You go, Graham. I'll, I'll go after. Okay, I'm just going to quickly outline what we're talking about here so that listeners know exactly what we're referencing. Um, as we have covered before, Saudi Arabia wants to host the World Cup. They wanted to host the 2030 World Cup, but quickly realized that the support wouldn't be there for having two Winter World Cups out of three. So they moved to 2034 being the target. Um, this is where it is important to know about the rule that says World Cups can't be hosted by the same confederation for back-to-back tournaments. So by smushing UEFA, CAF and Commonwealth together for 2030, they are eliminated from contention for 2034. That leaves AFC and CONCACAF as the only two fed- confederations that can possibly and host And Oceania, how dare you? They've got plenty I'm of 80,000 stadiums. I'm getting to Oceania. So, Tuvalu um, woke up! <laughs> American Samoa <laughs> and Samoa hosting Woo. together. That's really the unification World Cup that we're waiting for. Yeah, so um, AFC, CONCACAF and Oceania can host um, 2034, but because CONCACAF is hosting in 2026, there's no bid coming from them for 2034. So by making this decision about 2030, this unprecedented decision, FIFA has essentially cleared the way for AFC and Oceania, which is always grouped in that region, um, to host the 2034 World Cup and Saudi Arabia as an AFC <coughs> member. And I'm sure this was just a coincidence. Hours after FIFA announced that the 2030 World Cup would be happening in six different countries, three different continents, three confederations, Saudi Arabia officially launched their 2034 bid. I'm sure it was just a coincidence. Hey, Australia's got like 20 days, guys. They can pull this together. They can make this (laughs) happen. Yeah, can we talk about that for a second? Is that story true that FIFA basically said like, oh, everybody else, you have like nine or 10 minutes to submit your bid? And to show so you're serious, we have you have five minutes. So that uh, <laughs> that screenshot that I sent into our Slack, which is what you're referencing, is is a Guardian story, and as we all know, the Guardian is the greatest paper and newspaper in the world. So you Agreed. know, just <laughs> yeah, so the, it, the so greatest I mean, one that features Graham Ruffin, obviously. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. so but it really does feel like when you kind of put all that together, whether or not it was the intention, it's the reality that if you sort of force those two bids together and as we said there are reasons for why you could argue like you want to have the sentimentality of the the centennial world cup and you get to have south america involved but then you also have africa involved you have european nations like it it makes sense but at the same time when you then picture the decision making and it's like which one should it be they can't really have the infrastructure they seem like the more logical bid but if we combine them like we do kind of clear out 2034 and we need 2034 to be cleared out is sort of what it starts to feel like to me. It opens the gates for then an AFC nation <clears throat> to host or maybe a joint bid, though my feelings there are that if Saudi Arabia is bidding for it, the one thing absolute monarchies love more than anything else is compromise. So I feel like it's less likely to me that they're going to be going in on a joint bid than they will be yeah. uh, putting in a bit of their own. Saudi yeah. Arabia, Australia, joint bid. Team one team plays in Riyadh. They've got to get to Canberra in two days. Go. Do it. <laughs> Can I, I? I guess one of the other things 
that came to mind for me. I know this is the big thing, and so it, it's a big topic. I guess the more and more I think about all the intricacies of this announcement, the less I think those intricacies are the big thing, and the more that I think the big thing is just the fact that we know where the World Cup's going to be played. And I know that was kind of confusing, but let me explain. Do, do any of us really think that South America was going to be in contention to host the 20, 2034 World Cup? I, I don't. It doesn't seem like their their own president thinks that they're prepared to host a World Cup anytime soon. I guess I feel like everybody's talking about, I've seen tweets from New York Times reporters, all this stuff. It is factually true that by smushing this World Cup into three continents, you limit who can bid for future World Cups for the next two cycles. But was South America really a player like we already had the africa do you mean in 2034 or in 2030 i mean in 2034 right so this is the 2030 world Mm. cup by by looping south america into the 2030 world cup you rule them out from hosting the 2034 world cup right that is how this works but i I guess i feel like if south america wasn't ready for 2030 and they've said as much like why would we really believe that they're a threat to host four years later south saudi arabia had been pushing with vision 2030 which we've talked about before this idea of becoming a, a bigger and bigger part of the, the global economy, all, all these different things, right? They've been pushing for that initiative, and they've been pushing as a part of that initiative to host a World Cup. And tied into that is all the other sports endeavors that they're trying to involve themselves in. A World Cup coming to Saudi Arabia was inevitable. We've talked about that on this podcast before. Yeah, FIFA make it, I guess, logistically and, and legally in, in a loose term, easier for the World Cup to go right to Saudi Arabia because they take Kamabul off the table, but I don't really feel like Kamabul was ever on the table to begin with. Uh, well, Joe, I, I, I think Joe, you make a very good point. But when we recorded yesterday, was that brown envelope with all the cash in it that's next to you now? Was that <laughs> it? Was. was that there? Yeah, that oh, was okay. there. Just checking. Yeah, right, GI okay. was written on the front. I don't know if you saw that. Got it. Got it. I, I just don't think we can know that Joe until 2030 is awarded to someone because a number of times countries will make decisions on well we didn't get that one like what the U- the UK and Ireland has done they they clearly believed that this was going to be more difficult for them once they saw which bids were being made and so they've switched their their target so I'm I'm obviously hypothesizing here but who could really say that like Argent Argentina's probably the best equipped right of these countries these south american countries besides brazil who obviously hosted it in 2014 already they're probably the best equipped to host a world cup i mean i don't know maybe there would be a plan to 2034 is quite far away maybe argentina would maybe look at that but i am yeah it just feels it feels so i I don't know i think i think the idea that we're having to hypothesize and literally the commonable president is coming out and saying the good thing is that having in three countries, three hosts, we're talking about almost no other investment more than what already exists. Like, I just don't I just don't buy that we would have seen a South America World Cup in 2034. And I also very much do buy that the World Cup was going to Saudi Arabia almost regardless yeah. of how many continents so, were smushed in here, which is, again, the part of this that makes me feel like all of the. All the logistics outside of the sporting side, which you talked about earlier, all the weird logistics and all the smushing and all, I mean, smushing's gotten a lot of play on this show, maybe just for me, but all this, all this extra stuff that's been such big news, like, is maybe just not. Well, so a couple things. I, I think I agree with you largely about 2034. I would say that if we're talking about countries that don't have infrastructure, that didn't stop them from awarding it to Qatar. So like yeah, yeah that's and, different, and then, right? And that's, then you're that's a well, it's situation. different because they have money, and, right? <laughs> and that, and, but see, that's what I'm getting at is like then you're sort of making transparently clear, we'll give it to you because you're going to spend oil money, and that's fine. You countries with 
like proud and lengthy footballing traditions, you don't have the money, and so we're not going to give you that tournament. And I get why that is just a practicality of hosting a giant international event. I think then, like, their president coming out and, and making the quotes you've mentioned there, Joe, I, I hear where you're coming from. I would also say that he's making those comments after the bid has For been sure. decided and For after sure. they've been given three games. Saving face to, to get. Yeah. So, like, so I think with that said, like, I hear what you're saying. I just think what keeps, like, keeps me from being maybe more practical about this is the feeling that this was a foregone conclusion for Saudi Arabia to get it in 2034. And if it was a standard bid process where there are other competitors and and then they ended up maybe getting some questionable bids along the way, that's, that seems to be the way FIFA voting goes, then, like, you know, that's its own thing. It, it feels to me like in this case, it's all just been manufactured. Like, the, the most transparently ridiculous thing is that Gianni Infantino... Infantino leaves the 2022 World Cup from his home in Qatar to fly to his new home in Saudi Arabia. Like, right there. It's like, oh, okay, so he lives there. Ha ha, that's interesting. And then, like, you can just see the the spending, what Saudi Arabia is doing, the infrastructure they're going to build, and how much money they're going to put into this. I think it's going to be a beautiful World Cup. It just is the fact that, like, all of these things are, in my mind, sort of coming together in a very fortuitous way for it to end up with Saudi Arabia, such that if you're telling me, and you're not, Joe, but I'm saying that Gianni Infantino then being like, well, what a coincidence that this all worked (laughs) out. It's just sort of like, yes, or it was reverse engineered from, hey, we promised it to Saudi Arabia as long as they back off from 2030. We said we'd give it to them in 2034. We have two competitors for 2030, one of whom isn't really a competitor. What if we just push them together? We give them some games. They'll be happy. Then we do the bulk of the tournament here. Then Saudi Arabia is happy. Boom, everything's covered. It's just very clear to me that that is what happened. Or at the very least, that is my theory as to what happened. And it ticked a lot of boxes along the way. And so then I feel like I'm being told... It's the uh, Judge Judy thing. Like, don't don't pee on my leg and tell me it's raining. It's just don't tell me a thing and, like, tell me how wonderful it is and how spectacular and we're bringing the world together when it's just, like, very clear that you have made practical, if you want to call them that, but business decisions that you are then reverse engineering to make be about global politics and sport and the beauty of love and whatever the hell else Gian Infantino wants to claim. Yeah, first of all, I didn't have Taylor quoting Judge Judy on my bingo card you for should. this episode. Um, Judge so Judith Scheinblin, thank you very much. Yes, we should give her her proper title. Um, that's, on, that's on me. <laughs> I'll allow okay. it. <laughs> um, second part, I think we would all agree that this all feels manufactured when it comes to 2034. It, it felt inevitable. I think I said that already. Like it, it felt like this is where the waters were flowing. And I guess where I come at all of this is is not with great joy that that's been the case and it's felt so pre-planned and obvious and not ideal in some ways. Hey, we're getting another Winter World Cup, guys, by the way. That'll be super fun in 2034. Like, all of these things felt inevitable to me before yesterday, before the announcement earlier this week. And maybe that's why my perspective is slightly different, is just accepting that this was going to be the case and realizing that this particular World Cup 2030 announcement, like, didn't really directly impact much of this at all. I don't think FIFA have necessarily designed this process to culminate in this way. First of all, because I don't think they are smart enough for that. I don't have any faith in Gianni Infantino back in 2017 when bids started to be announced for this tournament, having a grand plan and how this would all come together. They're not that smart. Also, I think even if you were smart, that would be almost impossible to do because bids for major tournaments are at, um, you know, the decisions are made on a whim by 
whether a new prime minister comes into a, a country or a president and that's not on their political agenda and they get rid of a bid. So it would be almost impossible to manufacture it that way. I think this is what Taylor is getting at. I think FIFA has, has almost got lucky in a sense that they've ended up with these two bids on the table that just almost by chance make their life easier with 2034 and they've gone, okay, well, we'll just do this to cover everything so that 2034 is kind of cleared. Because if it, when, when 2034 comes around and they award that to Saudi Arabia, FIFA can now essentially go, well, we didn't have another choice. Like, there was no other choice to give this World Cup to anyone. That's essentially what they have ended up out of this situation. But I don't think that is something... I don't think they've been plotting for years to get to this point. I think they ended up with a situation that benefited them, and they've taken that opportunity. It's. Um, I agree, and it's not a great comparison for FIFA. But I remember listening to a podcast about like Vladimir Putin's approach, and it's very much like short-term, we're going to create chaos and see what happens. And then once we see what happens, we'll then see what we we do next that seems to be the way he kind of conducts foreign policy and it and i agree with you graham it feels like in this case it's been a well let's expand the world cup again well if we're going to expand the world cup for 2026 we can have more host nations because we're going to have more countries competing and 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 you have that slow progression i don't feel like it was an intentional thing to get to this point but it is the case that if you don't have expanded world cup in 2026 with three host nations the idea of going from russia qatar maybe one, maybe let's say Argentina, and then the next one is like six countries or whatever. It just, it's too big of a step. It's too big of a jump. But we have slowly had these adjustments to the format of the tournament, to the hosting, uh, to now having six host nations, six automatic qualifiers. And I wouldn't even be surprised if part of their billing, if and when it's given to Saudi Arabia, part of the kind of idea behind it is like, it's back with one country. And we're excited to have it be in one nation where they're going to build massive infrastructure to allow us to have it back in one place. And it could be a more consolidated thing. Like, I think that will end up being part of the branding, part of how they explain it. But I don't think that was the like long term plan of Infantino since he took over. Indeed. I mean, we're treating the Saudi Arabia 2034 as a foregone conclusion, which is fair enough. As we mentioned, it is inevitable that they're going to get a World Cup. And I think one of the biggest shapes for me is for Australia. Who, as we mentioned, uh, it was reported yesterday that they had 25 days to make a bid uh, for this. So they might have something together. They might have rushed it. But for for Australia not to get this opportunity for at least another couple of decades, it seems a big shame. They've just hosted, co-hosted a successful Women's World Cup. You know, it's it's a growing soccer nation. And let's bear in mind, for 2030... Let's say they play Argentina in the opener. Then they've got to go to Spain to play the next few games. Then they've got to go to Morocco. They're still going to be jet-lagged in 2034. They need a home tournament in 2034, <laughs> frankly. It's a, it's, it's a shame. Yeah. And also, I think Australia, were they not one of the nations when the controversy around the Qatar voting? Were they not part of that? Were they not the country that were hard done by in that, that would be voting. us, my friend. That would be yeah, us. Yeah, USA were also in that process. Yeah. There was a few of them. But I think it, it was USA, Australia were the two ones that lost out most of all, wasn't it? England as well. I feel like it was England, yeah. yeah. England was 2018. But there, was, uh, and, there, were, two, yeah, there were two yeah. World Cups that were awarded in that voting yep. process. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty certain Australia were mm-hmm. in some way hard done by by that voting process. So they have, they have somehow ended up in the next controversial FIFA tournament award. Yeah. Kick down the road again, it is a shame. I mean, they hosted the Women's World Cup alongside New Zealand, but I think I t- that aside, I take your point, that like the Men's World Cup is, going to, is a massive event it it gets a ton of eyes theoretically you get a lot of money in tourism out of it although fifa tends to kind of keep a lot of that uh but yeah now as things stand i look forward to the 
uh, national training complex funded by like Aramco in Sydney and Wellington or wherever they may be. Uh, th- that should that should maybe make things that's depressing. Right. Yeah, I I didn't know where to to put this in the show, so I'll I'll put it here. I didn't think we were going to spend a ton of time on it. It is a little crazy that we probably know the next three men's World Cup hosts. And we still don't know who's going to be hosting the Women's World Cup in 2027. We've already gone one further step for the men than we have for the women. It's frustrating and a bit confusing that we don't know that. It's because today Gianni Infantino feels like a South American, European, African. Mm -hmm. But next week is when he will feel like a woman. And that's when he can then make Women's World Cup decisions. That's how it works. Whatever he feels like on the day is what he then works on. That, that tournament's going to be hosted by Gibraltar uh, to make up for the fact that they're missing out on the Spain-Portugal-Morocco <laughs> bid. That yeah, World yeah. Cup's happening over their heads. On the rock. That's what we like to see. Very nice indeed. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, maybe we'll talk a bit about qualification and talk about the general concept of countries, host nations, sharing this tournament back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willingly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. 
Total Soccer Show's big thing. We are talking World Cup. Uh, Joe, qualification's going to be interesting for this one, with six nations automatically qualifying. I'm thinking particularly of Comnebol in yep. South America, where there are uh, traditionally ten teams who try and qualify. Three of them are already automatically qualified. That's going to be an interesting process for them to qualify for this tournament. It's going to feel different in Comnebol because we're so used to that nice, neat league table where there's 10 teams, everybody plays each other twice, you get 18. Like, it's so it's so good the way it's been structured. Now, maybe there's going to be a format change or maybe there's mm. just going to be significantly fewer qualifiers for Comable leading gonna, into 2030. Jo- it's going to be Brazil doing the John Travolta meme of looking around, where is everybody, <laughs> basically? <laughs> That's exactly what it's going to be. <laughs> They'll certainly be, uh, be doing quite well in this opportunity. But yeah, it, instead of 10 teams fighting for six direct spots, if the current qualifying format in terms of allotment for each federation confederation stays the same from 2026 to 2030 instead of 10 teams fighting for six direct spots i would imagine it would be seven teams fighting for three there is a playoff spot in there as well it's just gonna be strange and different and brazil is gonna walk it like we expect (laughs) and the other two confederations it's a lot of the same stuff i'm not really sure we're gonna notice a ton of differences so calf will go from 54 teams fighting for nine direct spots to 53 teams, then I guess, fighting for eight direct spots. Like, it, it just doesn't change that much. And UEFA go the same. Instead of 16 direct spots, it's 14. So I'm not sure we're really going to feel the difference. Maybe in UEFA a little bit. Maybe we'll, we will feel it in CAF. But I, I don't expect a ton to seem different there. But Conmebol, certainly the qualifying structure um, is going to be different for them. I'm worried about losing those two spots in UEFA because those very much <laughs> feel like the spots we'd be aiming for. <laughs> Well, that's a genuine concern, isn't it, for middle to smaller nations, Graham? That it's it's six spots that are off the table for those. For well, them, on, right? on, only uh, maybe again, maybe in Commonwealth in UEFA, would it not just be everyone expecting Spain and Portugal to make it anyway? Potentially, yeah, of course, but you never know. There's always a big nation, usually Italy, <laughs> that True. misses out <laughs> True. on True. A, on a World Cup, so you never know. Or the fighting wet wipes, which is Spain. Right? Spain is the fighting, <laughs> the fighting wet wipes. Yeah, am I wrong on that one? I feel like <laughs> they had to go into the playoffs to. Uh to get to the 2022 iteration. So there's opportunities there, but yeah, I agree with Joe largely. I think that they would, they would be the two that I would expect to qualify. And really with the way Morocco have gone, I also feel like they would have qualified out of CAF, maybe not comfortably, but with expanded world cup format, likely to make it out. So really it feels like Paraguay are the ones who are getting through on some, uh, some coattails. Indeed. Yeah. And unless we forget, of course, we're now in the 48 team men's world cup era. So qualification is going to feel a bit differently from henceforth anyway. So it's going to be interesting seeing how this one pans out. I just, I still can't get over the travel though. I can't get over the fact that there might be a team that plays on three different continents in this tournament, depending how deep they go in the tournament as well. So that's going to be pretty problematic for whomever makes it. And, And on that, Graham, how do we feel about different continents hosting tournaments obviously we've seen it's it's not a new thing to have host nations co-hosting a tournament and it's been successful in many iterations but this is quite a different kettle of money i mean fish (laughs) indeed um i don't like it i think i'm maybe the 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 strongest of, of of the four of us on this um i've spoken about this on the show before but a big part of the magic of a world cup and of any major tournament for me is learning more about the the host country and it doesn't necessarily have to be one country but there needs to be some form of 
cultural language, geographical like so for example the women's world cup we just had with australia and new zealand i thought that was a, that was fantastic even as as an armchair fan i didn't obviously go to that tournament i got a sense of the the culture the football culture and i love that about world cups um even as an armchair fan you still get that sense it gives character and color to the tournament and i cast my mind back to um euro 2020 which set the precedent for these kinds of tournaments by hosting it across how many countries was that, Ryan? Like eight different nations or, or, or something like that? Um, obviously, England and Scotland being two of them. But I, I remember feeling like that tournament lacked an identity. It lacked that sense of culture and colour that I was just talking about. And I really did miss it. It lacked and a deserving winner as well, Graham, but go on. <laughs> well, in, in your eyes, that is, that is subjective, Ryan Bailey. But um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's partly why I am so keen to go to Germany for the next Euros because th- that last Euros, in my mind, was just rubbish. Um, so I think one of the biggest tur- um, downsides of the expanded World Cup format is that this is going to become common to be held across huge, huge regions, which makes it difficult for fans. Um, speaking of yeah. the Germany Euros, I am in the midst of, of booking things for the Euros next summer and I've applied for tickets and I've got hotels booked and flights and all that stuff. And while I have made those plans, it is great to know that essentially... I'm in Germany for the group stage, I've got a base, and I can kind of travel wherever I like in that country, depending on where what games I have tickets for or where I just want to go to a fan zone or something like that. I can get on a train, I can drive if I need to. How is that going to work for this World Cup? And I appreciate that for 2026, this is already a, 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 an issue. You know, that's a, a, a competition that's been held over a, a, an entire continent with Canada, <clears throat> Mexico and, 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 the, and the US. Um, but how will how will fans plan for matches if they can't travel easily? We're talking about fans traveling halfway across the globe to go to games if you're having to go to those first three matches. And the cost is going to be huge. Yeah. I think it's going to be farcical for teams, as, as, as Joe has already uh, mentioned. Climate change, as was already mentioned as well, is a big factor. So I, I, I don't like it at all. I think for teams, it's bad. I think for fans, it's bad. I think for the environment, it's bad. I'm struggling to figure out who it's good for Saudi Arabia. than the money men in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. yeah. Ultimately, I, I agree with Graham. I think it is, I, I'm not in favor of this idea. I think it is a little silly that they've decided to to bring in South America into this equation and kind of shoehorn them in. And it, I, I think the fans, Graham, are the ones who suffer the most. I think that is generally true of this expanded format as well. At least the fans that are going to see their teams. I mean, let's, let's be honest. Everybody likes soccer. If they're listening to this show, you like soccer. If you're watching a World Cup, you like soccer. So on its face, having more soccer games at a World Cup, which is super fun, is not a terrible idea. It just when you actually start to parse out what it means, fixture congestion, more games for team, all, all these things, fans having to travel more, having to have your World Cups in bigger and bigger areas across more and more countries, that means more travel, which is more difficult and has other... Like, the list just kind of goes on and on of things you've messed up by trying to generate more revenue and and maybe even bringing in a couple of genuine positives for fans along the way. It just doesn't feel... Worth it to me when the 32-team World Cup was just so perfect the way it was. It doesn't feel worth it to me. Also, especially in this case, at least in 2026, theoretically, teams will travel a roughly even amount. Like, you're going to have a base, most likely, and you'll have to travel some as you advance. But everybody's going to have to move around a little bit. For this, for this 2030 edition, like it's, it's six teams that have to do that and not the rest of the field. So... Yeah, again, I come back to the sporting side and, and how that affects teams and then all the fan stuff too. Yeah, Joe, I, I totally get that and the arguments about the sporting side of things. And to come back to the fan thing, Graham, 
you've met you've outlined a very reasonable case that this is bad for fans having games on multiple continents if you are following one team and that team end up ends up playing you know 15,000 miles worth of, uh, of of travel during a tournament that's suboptimal for you but is there a case to say that this tournament format actually benefits fans because more total fans can see a game. There's going to be fans in Morocco who can see a game for the first time. There's going to be fans in South America who can see a World Cup game in the first time. Those support, the loyal supporters who will travel the whole tournament, bad for them, but cumulatively will have more fans watching these games. Is that fair to say? Um, I take your point that there might be a benefit in having more games um, for domestic fans to watch. I, I would argue, and look, I don't have numbers, I haven't done the math on this, I don't have numbers in front of me, but when you say that it would benefit more fans, I, I would contest that because you're benefiting, what, six countries over the other 42 who would normally send a huge swathe of fans to a tournament, and you'd imagine that will be impacted by having it over three continents. I also just think it comes back to what my sense is of a World Cup. A World Cup is a football jamboree. It's for fans all over the world to congregate in a single place. That's one of the things. I've never been to a major tournament, so I'm, I'm speaking purely as an armchair fan here. It's my impression as an armchair fan. But I'm hopefully going to Germany next year for the Euros, um, even if Scotland aren't there. I desperately hope that they are there. But even if they're not, I'm looking forward to that sense of having fans from around Europe, from Germany, from England, from Italy, all over the place, congregate in one place. I think the atmosphere, everyone I've spoken to about visiting, attending a major tournament says that's one of the best things about it. And so I don't see how you're going to have that same atmosphere at this tournament. And, and, I, and we kind of know that that's going to be the case because this is what the Euros in 2020 were, or 2021. That's This is what happened in, with the Euros and it didn't have that same sense. And I know that because Glasgow hosted games. We didn't have that same sense at, at, with, with uh, the Euros. So I think it'll, it'll follow a similar uh, kind of feeling and atmosphere and I don't really like that. All right. On that note, we should probably wrap this one up. Um, let's go around the horn finally and say, do we think, let's give me a quick yes or no if this will be a good World Cup. And uh, by the way, we've just lost Taylor from the conversation. I think he fed the gremlins after midnight. Um, so I'm just going to say, uh, I'm going to use my hand as his hand puppet for Taylor's opinion as we go around. Graham, you go first. Uh, yeah, it probably will be a good World Cup because all World Cups are good. Mm -hmm. It's like pizza, right? There's no such thing as bad pizza. And I think World Cups are primarily remembered by the football rather than the hosting so Qatar is a good example of this because the football was generally excellent and that's probably the thing that people will remember most good. about that tournament so I'm still looking forward to a World Cup I just think it could be a lot better than how FIFA have, have decided it will be in 20, uh, 2030 excuse me okay. so yeah still a good World Cup but still not in favour of this uh, this hosting format Joe? Yeah, it's going to be great as Yunus Musa leads the United States men's national team to victory. <laughs> no, I, I, it will be a good World Cup because of the reasons Graham said. It is not an ideal setup by any stretch of the imagination, but World Cups are fun, and it's kind of unfortunate that they're fun because FIFA get away with whatever they want because World Cups are great. Okay, and Taylor, what do you think? I'm looking forward to this World Cup and also the one in Saudi Arabia subsequently. There we go. Thank you very much, Taylor. Uh, I agree with that wow, as well. That was well. uncanny. I know, I know. And the listener can't see the little hand puppet I did. It was crazy. You drew the like, beard on your hands as it's, well. It's yeah. like Jim Henson made my hand. It's incredible. Uh, anyway, <laughs> let's wrap this one up. Thank you very much, listener, for joining us on The Big Thing. We appreciate you. Graham, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Ryan Bailey, and your Jim Henson hand. <laughs> Joe Lowry, pleasure as always. Right back at you. Uh, Taylor Rocco, thank you very much. Yeah, whatever. And thank you very much, listener, <laughs> for joining us. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye. Bye. 